Amen. Bless the Lord. I, uh, I discovered something after the service. Derek, turn that down a little bit. I um, discovered last week when we were having some technical issues back there, and, and uh, I, I thought you guys couldn't hear me. Uh, unbeknownst to me, when they had kind of given me the signal from the back, they were saying the mic is out. I didn't realize the mic wasn't out. The recording was out in the back. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is, right? <laughs> it's just life. Sometimes those things happen and, and so forth. But I appreciate everyone who serves here, Tim, in every capacity, whether you're in the sound room, whether you're downstairs, wh whatever you're doing. If, if you're cleaning the church, I, I thank you. Uh, Deborah, bless you. Deborah each week comes in and she cleans the church and whatnot. And uh, she's just a young lady in high school. You know, uh, and God's developing some things in her heart. And, and uh, so I just want to recognize each and every one of you because practically each and every one of you are serving in some capacity. So I just want to say thank you. Hey, uh, turn with me to Exodus uh, chapter 17. That's where we're going to be uh, starting today. Uh, the devotional books. If you want a devotional book, it's just a small 30 or 90 day uh, devotional. Three months is what it is. Uh, they're back there on the table, the little daily bread devotional book. Uh, we provide those every quarter. and uh, So please, uh, pick one of those up, and uh, it may be an encouragement to you each morning when you get up, and maybe you can open that up and just read a little bit of uh, that devotion along with your studies, and uh, God may use both to en encourage you and others, okay? Okay, Exodus chapter 17. Okay, Ben is getting suited up over there. Uh, if you do not know, Ben's back has been broken in an automobile accident, and he has to adjust the Velcro from time to time uh, to make sure he's as comfortable as he can get. Should be good for the rest of the day. Okay, all right. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 through 7 is what we're going to be covering. Now, uh, Last week, uh, we finished up chapter 16, and you guys know I always kind of like to kind of uh, review a little to kind of help us in the transition. Last week, in uh, uh, chapter 16, verses 17 through 36, uh, we looked at the portion of Scripture where they were, they were gathering the, the manna, right? And, uh, and they had gathered all that they needed, and God had directed them not to save any of it. Because they had gained in proportion to their need. And then the scripture says that they had saved some of it, right? That's okay, isn't it? They had saved some of it. and uh, Now what he thinks is he's going to tone me down. He's, he's not right. He's, he's, <clears throat> but uh, they had saved some of, of that manna. And the next morning they found out that the manna had been spoiled with worms and and, and such, the deterioration process had set in. And uh, the incredible thing about that scripture was it said they had gathered according to their need, what they needed. Meaning if they didn't consume what they had needed, many of those people went to bed hungry. Right? And we talked about that idea, how God provides for us, but because we're not trusting God's provision, sometimes uh, we leave God's table still hungry. 
You know, we're carrying things we shouldn't be carrying because we're not trusting him. His provision is there, but we just dismiss it out of our lack of trust for him. And then the scripture goes on, and it, and it <clears throat> basically says that God had directed them on, on that Friday to gather twice as much. He had provided twice as much. And for them not to gather Sunday or Saturday, because Saturday was going to be a Sabbath, a day of rest for the people of Israel. And what had happened was some got up, nevertheless is what the scripture says, nevertheless what God had said, some still got up and they went out to gather. And when they went out to gather, they found nothing to gather. Just like God had said. But what happened in the gathering was those who did go out to gather, they forfeited the rest that God had provided for them. Why? Because they didn't trust him. So you had people leaving the table of God hungry because they didn't trust him. And you had people uh, being exhausted because they didn't trust God's word. And they'd gone out and labored unnecessary. And so when you're looking at that, the close of that chapter, it's all about really trusting God. And that's where all of us are at, really. You know, trusting God, that's at the core of what, what is happening in our lives. Whether we're going to trust God or not is going to be the, 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 the contingent factor. Everything is going to be contingent on it. Our rest, our, 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 our peace of mind, our peace in our spirit, all those things flow out of our trust for God. And when we don't trust God, even when he's providing, I've said this, said this to Clark Evans, I said, Clark, if you needed money and you were worried about money, and I put money in your checking account, and I told you that money is in the account. Now, you can trust me. You can trust me and make withdrawals, or you can still worry that there's not any money, but you worrying doesn't change the fact that I have made a deposit. That's your response to not trusting me. And so it is with God. God, God is a provider. God is of, all, of everything that we need. God is that. And the, the, uh, the, the issue at hand is whether or not we're going to trust that, okay? And so that's where we found ourselves closing out last week. And so we're going to pick up and we're just going to cover these first seven verses in Exodus 17. Now, I will tell you in Exodus 17, it's basically a, a, a chapter of conflict. But it's kind of broken in two. There's an internal conflict that we're going to discuss today, verses 1 through 7. And then the remainder of the chapter is about an external conflict. Now, one of the things that I do understand as a follower of Jesus is, is regardless of what your decision-making is, you're going to experience external conflict. There's going to be factors, people, and forces that just oppose you. There's going to be conflict. So if you're following Jesus thinking that the external conflict is going to cease, let me go ahead and suspend that notion and say to you, that's not true. Some of you will come to faith in Christ and say, man, I thought my life was going to be hunky-dory, smooth sailing. And you come to find out that it's not and it hasn't been. And then all of a sudden you become kind of disgruntled spiritually, thinking, man, I thought it was going to be like this and now it's like that. Well, I don't know what you have subscribed to, but I don't know who was teaching you that, but I'm going to teach you something that's true this morning. Conflict is coming. External conflict is coming. Internal conflict is a completely different story. Though external conflict is present, you can still have internal peace. Right? 
External conflict doesn't always generate internal conflict. But internal conflict will always generate external conflict. You got some issues going on in your heart. You got some issues between you and God. Believe me, before the sun sets, Jack, you will have an issue somewhere else. It will manifest itself. It will produce in, in your life consistent with what's going on in here. When the scripture talks about the, 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 the overflow of the heart and from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, man, you can only control that tongue so long when there's internal conflict. You will literally communicate that. People will be able to hear there's internal conflict. You don't have to say a whole lot. You just have to say enough. And so what we want to look at and what we need to decide today as followers of Jesus is to what degree am I willing to live with, in, with internal conflict when it's absolutely unnecessary. That is something that we can completely completely separate from the internal trusting God following God being obedient to God we can have peace in the midst of the most chaotic situation and so we're going to look at some scripture right here verses one through seven we're going to look at some some conflict that's in the camp next week we'll look at the conflict that comes from outside the camp so this is what the scripture says the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink there. So they quarreled against, with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Now this sounds like a repeat, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, man, at some point you begin to identify, there's some character issues amongst this group of people, right? At some point, that's what you realize. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us die, our children die, and you're going to kill our livestock too? That's basically what they're saying. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? The prayer of most people, right? right. <clears throat> what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it. For the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled. And because they tested the Lord. Listen to this. Saying. Is the Lord among us. Or not. Is the Lord among us. Or not. Father in Jesus name. Bless the hearer of the word this morning. Bless uh, the one you've chosen to speak this word this morning. May we navigate this scripture with integrity and clarity. May we extract what it is that you want us to extract and consume what it is you want us to consume. Speak to each of us at the place that we're at today. May we not look for application to our husband or our wife or our neighbor, 
to the one to our right or left or front or rear, but we look for application for me. For me. Lord, speak to me. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask this. Amen. All right, let's look at this, okay? Seven verses. This will not take very long. And it says right here that the whole Israelite community set off from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. In the Hebrew, it's the word masa, and it literally means a pulling up, a setting out, a breaking of camp. So what we know is that from the last place, they we don't know how much time, the duration of time that has passed since chapter, the end of chapter 16, but what we do know is that they have set up camp many times and they have taken up camp many times. They have journeyed from place to place, multiple locations, okay? Multiple locations. The other thing that we realize in staying in multiple or multiple locations is that the, God, the provision of God, of the manna, was being provided every day. Meaning, if they set up camp in Hodgenville and awoke in Hodgenville, being led by God, the manna's in Hodgenville. If they then travel to Magnolia, set up camp in Magnolia, wake up the next morning, the manna's in Magnolia. If they travel to Rhineville, long journey from Magnolia, Right? <laughs> And they get all the way to the backside of Rhineville. And that's where they camp. The next morning, manna is then in Rhineville, right? So we know because of the truth of God's word, the character of God, this provision is being provided by God as he is leading them. As he has commanded, they are going as the Spirit's leading. The provision then is in place, right? And that's what the scripture says right there. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Presumably, this refers to the pillar of cloud and fire, right? Remember when we talked about that, Alan Nehemiah? You know, hey, when, that, when that, the pillar of fire would move, they would move. When it would stop, they would stop. As a matter of fact, I want to give you a little insight into the, the provision of God that the prophet Nehemiah actually documented right there in chapter 9, verse 19 through 21. Could you pull that up? This is, let's look at what, how God treated his children while they were in the wilderness. This kind of gives us an overview. So when we read this, and then we start to understand these people, we're understanding it in the, the light of who God is and what he did. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on their way, on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Now here they are in a location led by God and it appears, it appears that there is no water there. Now what you and I know is that where God is, God's provision is, so even if the naked eye doesn't perceive water, if God has led you there, water's there. If that's what is needed. They can't perceive it with the human eye. 
They don't see what they were wanting to see. I want you to understand, as they were commanded by the Lord and were, was led by the Lord, they were brought into a place that God had led them that didn't look necessarily advantageous to them. It almost looked in the, to the naked eye that there was deficiencies in the place that God had led them. And this is a principle, man, that we've tried to get through. We've tried to teach here at the church. Just because you find yourself in a difficult spot where there appears to be a lacking, if God has led you there, don't discount the value of being there. Remember, that it's the idea, nothing wasted, Greg. Nothing's wasted. Nothing is wasted. And so God has led them to a place that doesn't appear to be the place they need to be. The whole, and then, and then the scripture says this, the whole Israelite community, or it says, I'm, I'm sorry, let me jump down right here. It says, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink there, right? That's what we just covered. So what are we doing when we come into a situation that appears as though it's not the ideal situation for us? When God is leading us into a place and it doesn't look the part, it doesn't look, it's not the dream, it's not the dream matching image, Ronnie. God has laid us here. This don't look quite right. We basically have an opportunity to do two things. We can respond two ways. We can go into full-blown panic mode, or we can trust the record of God in the past. Right? When we know the provision and the protection of God in the past, we then can apply it to whatever condition we find ourselves in. So when we come into a place where life is obvious, but we know the provision of God has been proven to him time and time again, then we say in the place of lack that the provision of God is then hidden from us, but it's there. God has led us here. And that's what we, me, all of us need to do when we come into those places. The people of Israel coming into that place, the moment they don't see the water, the first thing they should have done was draw on the record of God and his provision. Literally, think back. And this is a, this is a recurring thought that, that, that just continues to surface. Remembering God. What they should have been doing was thinking about the plagues and the protection, right? Right? The deliverance from Egypt with bounty. We come out wealthy slaves. The two don't even jive. It sounds like an oxymoron. Wealthy slaves. That's what they were. The parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of, of, the, uh, of Egypt's forces. They witnessed that. This is the record. The healing waters of Marl and Elam. The quail and manna. So all of a sudden, you come up to a place now where there is no water and your thought, the first thing you're perceiving is no water. Instead of thinking, look what God did. And when we go in and we embrace a situation like that and that is the, the, the prevailing thought then it's going to capture our hearts, capture our minds, and conflict will be born in us. What you and I need to do, instead of sweating bullets, losing sleep, chewing our nails off, we need to remember what God has done. Every one of us have a record of God's faithfulness in our life. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. God has proven himself. 
time and time and time again. But a lot of times we forget about the catalog of God's faithfulness and we concentrate on the what I don't have. And I'm telling you, the moment, the moment, I don't care who you are, the moment you start numbering the things you don't have instead of counting the things that you do have, you know the whole idea about counting your blessings kind of thing? The moment you do that, conflict rises up. Conflict. Man, you can, you can have 99 out of, out of 100, and the one thing you recognize is, is that thing, that thing that's missing. And then you got people who don't have the internal conflict, and they may possess the one and lack the 99, and their minds and their hearts are focused on the one thing they do have. And they're content. How does that happen? They trust God. The 99, if I need it, it'll be provided. If God's led me here, I can trust him. I remember the record. I've done the background check. God's faithful. All reports are positive. He's a God of his word. And so this is what they say. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. The word quarrel, I want you to, this is a different picture. What's taking place here looks a lot different than what we've read previously about their quarreling. And I want to unfold this, unpack this for you right here. The word quarreled is in the imperfect tense, and it means a constant over and over and over, a, a badgering, a wailing against Moses. This isn't just some one complaint and we'll let it go. This is a constant uh, 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 aggressive effort, concentrated effort of complaining against Moses, quarreling against Moses. And then they say to him, give us water to drink. The word give in the Hebrew and in the Septuagint, when you read it in the Greek, in both situations, it's an imperative, meaning it's a command. So you've got this ravenous group of people who are railing against Moses, and now they're commanding the commander. And you can almost see this thing working itself up. You're talking about millions of people. You're talking about basically you got Moses and Aaron, his man, just off in his shadows. But the, the, the energy, the focus, it is directed towards Moses. And this thing is starting to ramp up. It's starting to get hostile, the quarreling, to, to the extent that they start commanding him. Give us water. Can you see it? It's almost this mob mentality that we have seen on TV over the last few years. One guy breaks a window, and all of a sudden, everyone's breaking windows. One guy sets something on fire, everybody's setting something on fire. And we've seen this at sporting events. and so We've seen these types of things, how it kind of spreads through the group. And you can almost imagine as the germinating spot of quarreling and reckless words are being spoken out against Moses, and then it just begins to mushroom. I'll tell you how bad it mushroomed. Moses says to God, he literally says to God in verse 4, they're about to stone me to death. Now where does that come from? 
I'm going to tell you where that probably came from. Amongst the, the ravenous crowd, this, this mob mentality, I guarantee you Moses hearing everything, there was someone probably in the back of the group, maybe in the middle of the group, maybe in the front of the group, who said this, stone him. Why else does he go to God and say, they're about to stone me? This isn't just something he conjured up in his own heart, and his own mind. He literally says, God, these, this thing has gotten so volatile. This internal conflict where they're not trusting God, they're not calling on the record of God, then it starts to produce a hostility and an anger towards the person of God, the vessel of God. And they're saying to him, we're going to kill you if what? If you don't give us some water. Now what if you're Moses and there's not a spigot to turn on? And then you feel the weight of that situation. You got millions of people out there and they're demanding water. It's your life. You think that wouldn't create some internal conflict? Moses replied, can you imagine this? The crowd going crazy, a mob mentality. Moses replies and he says, hey, 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 slow down. Stand down. May our attitudes be kosher. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you, and he says this, why do you put the Lord to the test? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Because you know what they were really saying? The scripture, verse 7, reveals what they were saying in, in the midst of this riotous act. It wasn't just kill Moses, stone Moses. You know what they were declaring? You know what they were declaring? Is God with us or not? This is what you need to get. These cats were standing there declaring, is God with us or not, with a mouth full of manna. What is up with that, man? How in the world could they stand there complaining, debating, accusing, willing to assault? Because they do not expect or perceive the presence of God the whole time. They have a mouth full of manna, a stomach full. Man, I tell you, you read that scripture, and it, these cats are crazy. I mean, but you know what? We're crazy. We're crazy. You're crazy. And I'm crazy. Because there's times, Daniel, there's times, man, when the provision of God is wrapped all around me. And then I'm seized by some issue in my life. And I'm like, is God with me or not? Is God? And I'm covered with manna expressed in different manners. And you do the same thing. Kevin Cabell, been to the doctor battling cancer. Been through treatments, battling cancer. Goes back to the doctor multiple times. Back to his oncologist this week. 
You think the enemy isn't whispering to Kevin Cappell? Is the Lord with you or not, Kevin? Is he with you or not? Because I'm going to tell you the truth, Kevin. Whether the report is good, favorable, or not, the Lord is still with you. And there's a rock in your life if the doctors say this, that, or another. They don't see the rock that God's going to strike. And God will strike a rock in your life for the provision that you need like he'll do it for Till Mathers and he'll do it for Trent Evans and he'll do it for Jeff Darty. And then there's this notion, this thing that I've come to experience since being in the church. You know, I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised in the church. I, I don't know if I had anybody in my family who spell church. Right? Wasn't raised close to a church. No, nothing like that. But there's something I've discovered when I've engaged people, especially people who are really churched. And the application goes to newly church too, but I see it so prevalent. I see this thing that plays out in the church, this, uh, it's this spiritual and emotional manipulation. You know what I'm talking about? When, when my kids were really small, they used to do it. Now, I'm not sure their intentions were evil or whatever, but you, you know how your little kids do you, don't you, Tim? You remember when your girls were little? They say, Daddy, if you love me, If you love me, you I don't have to go to bed tonight at 9, do I, Daddy? My favorite show comes on at 9.30. Yeah, you need to go to bed. you got to get up early. But, Dad, if you love me, if you love you know what I'm talking about? And see what's sad about that. That's real. Every one of us have experienced that. I hope we grow out of that. But the sad thing about that is we bring that into our relationship with God. I'll hear people extort God. Well, if God doesn't do this for me, then I'm just leaving the church. You've already left the church. If that's your mindset and you're perceiving that you can extort God, you can manipulate God, you may be leaving the building then, but your heart's already left. You've already gone some other place. But we do that. We have a tendency to do that. And here, here these people are. And you, you can almost feel this. Is God here or not? If he's here, then we want water. I remember when, uh, when I wasn't a believer, a follower of Jesus, let me... And uh, many of you know this. I've shared many of these stories. And every one of these stories, I vow to you, the statute of limitations have expired so I can share these stories without, without regard for my well-being in the future from a legal standpoint, okay? Uh, when I was a young boy, and some of you all have heard this, uh, I took my brother's truck one time, and, and uh, unbeknownst to him, and I was doing a little joy ride, and I was about 16 years old on these country roads. And um, the little truck had no registration, no license, or anything on it. And I was that kid who thought, well, cops don't travel these back roads anyway. I'm 16 years old, so I'm just zipping up and down through it. A little Chevy, what was that, a little Chevy Love pickup truck, wasn't it? 
I would say it's blue, but I think I think it's like five or six different colors. He had, they had fenders from who knows where on that truck, right? That kind of thing. That thing, that thing. But it would run pretty good. You know, drop our quart of oil in it every 10 miles, it would run, run pretty good. You know what I'm talking about? It smoked a little. But I, I was catting around right out there and whatnot, and the car ran out of gas, and uh, 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 I had a, a gentleman that I knew where it ran out of gas. I had parked it at a church. I'd parked this little truck at a church. And uh, the young man that was with me, his, his, his record was worse than mine, but I left him there to guard the truck that was probably worth $75 if it had a full tank of gas. That truck wasn't worth much, was it? And, and I remember I went across the street. I, I grabbed a guy named uh, Rex Reed. And I said, Rex, could you give me a ride into, into town? And, and he, he gave me a ride into town. And my brother Terry, I went to his house. And I said, man, I ran out of gas out here. Can you take me out there uh, to, to get some gas? Now, my brother Terry had already been in prison at least twice, right, Dwayne? You know, and so, so uh, he, he puts me in the car. We get a little bit of gas. We ride back out there. As we're driving up to that church parking lot, cop cars everywhere. Everywhere. And they're questioning my friend that I'd left behind in the truck. I wanted to say, I don't know him. He stole that truck from my brother, and I'm here to recover it. I could have done it. I don't remember we pulled up. I was nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room for a rocket chair. I mean, I was just inside, man. You're talking about internal turmoil, conflict. And I got out, and I remember, I remember the, the, detective, the detective. His name is Robert Foster. Dwayne, now look, my brother knows all these people, detectives, cops, okay. Uh, his name was Robert Foster. Terry gets out of the car. The, state, the detective turns around and looks at him and says, hey, Terry, what are you doing? And right then, when the state detective knows your brother by the first name, you know this ain't going good at all. And it wasn't. And so they, uh, under you know, uh, uh, some serious interrogation, we just basically told the truth. I just said, oh, I took this from, this is my brother's, my brother's vehicle. I drove it. We were just, you know, scatting around. I'm sorry. They said, well, we got a report that this young man was trying to break into this church. And Charlie's like, no, I wasn't. And then back in my mind, I was like, oh, he probably was, you know. But, you know, I, I couldn't speak to that. I wasn't there. I was getting gas. And so they end up writing us a ticket. They say to us, they wrote me a ticket, no registration, no license, this, that, and another. I'm like, okay, they let us go. They said, don't pick up the truck, leave the truck here. Well, everybody left, we left. Terry came back, took the truck, and drove it off, okay? Well, I ended up going to court, and uh, I knew nothing about court at the time. At the time, meaning that later I wouldn't know more about the court. And I, I went to court, and the judge said to me, he said, whose vehicle was this? I said, it was my brother Dwayne. I was he wasn't there. I was going to throw him under the bus as much as I could get him under the bus. I mean, he was under there deep, Jack. And uh, I said it was his. He didn't have it registered. I may have said I didn't know that. You know, and the, and the judge said to me, Mr. Evans, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, if you bring me proof that that vehicle wasn't yours, I'm going to drop all this. Pretty good deal, right? So I go home. I'd never go back. I said, well, you know what? This is what I was thinking, Jeremiah. I was thinking, you know what? That judge is going to be so nice to me. And they can check on that vehicle. They'll find out that it wasn't mine. I just ain't going to go back. Right? Let me tell you a little story here. Let me tell you a little addition. Don't do that. <laughs> mm. No. It, it, don't go, it don't go well. All right? Well, between that moment and the next time I found myself in court, 
uh, I come to know Jesus. And when I come to know Jesus, there's a practice of the faith that has been abandoned uh, by the modern church, and it's, it's called restitution. It's called making things right. And man, I had a list of making things right, Kevin, uh, Kellen. I mean, I had it, man. An exhaustive list. One of those li- one of those items on the list was I've got to make that right. God is in me now. I've got to. so I remember I walked down there one day. Couldn't drive down there. Couldn't get my license. So I walked down there and I I literally walk into the courtroom. I sit in the courtroom the whole day. After everyone's left the courtroom, I stand up. Or the judge ends up saying, does anybody else have anything? So I stood up and I said, sir, could, could I say something? I didn't have enough sense or, or social etiquette or propriety to say, judge, may I approach the bench? I was like, sir, can I say something? He waved me up there. Judge was there. A gentleman by the name of Carl Howell was standing right there. And I said, sir, my name is Trent Evans. And this is my situation. I had gone into that newly converted to Jesus. And man, I had bought in hook, line, and sinker. That I had purposed my heart that I'm going to make restitution and honor God and he's going to make all the provisions I might need. All the provisions I might need, Blair. He's going to get this all waived. It's going to work out. I've got God on my side. I mean, I was charged. So I go in there and and I'm telling them this, that, and another. And he says, well, son, that sounds correct. Let's pull the tape up and see if that's what you told me. And then we'll go from there. So he pulled the tape up. Literally, poured it up. And I could hear myself speaking back. And then I began to think to myself, oh, Lord, please let that be what I said. You know what I'm talking about? And then I could hear myself say to him, it wasn't my vehicle. It was my brother's. <laughs> hit the tape, click. There was a part of me, I was, I was like, God, doesn't, God preserved the tape. God's going to deliver me. The judge said, son, said, you're correct. What you said is correct, but you should have come back. Boom, $500 fine, court calls. You can make it all right. It hit me. Listen, I'm, I was dirt poor living in a housing project, newly born into Jesus. And in that moment, Blair, I felt a deflating I felt this thing well up on me, and I thought, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you loved me. And as I began to go out of that courtroom with that $500 fine and then the additional court cost, I had to resolve something in my heart and my mind. As a young believer, not being taught this, just being open to his word and the spirit. Trent, I'm God, whether that's done your way or not. Are you going to serve me and follow me? And I remember resolving as a young man of the faith, a child, a toddler, or whether it works out to my advantage or not. You're God, and I'm not, and I'm just going to serve you. And I walk out of that room, and I go over to the, uh, what I thought was the county clerk's area because I wanted to find out uh, where I I needed to pay the bill, and the door was locked. They may have been out for break or for, for lunch. I don't know. I couldn't get in there and gain access. So I turned around, and I walked back to the courtroom. And when I walked into the courtroom, I just stuck my head in there, and the two gentlemen were still in there, that being the judge and that being Carl Howe. And I said, sir, 
I said, I, I have a question. That's what I said, Jeremiah. And I was timid, man. I was like, I got a question, sir. I said, where, where do I go to set up payments on this so I can make this right? Jerry said, come here, son. I went there, man. I was thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to kid prison. That's what, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm going to the hole. I walked up there, and the judge looked at me, and Carl House standing right there. Fishy, standing right there. He said, uh, Carl's been telling me some things going on in your life. You're making some changes in your life. And, you know, I'm, yes, sir. He said that uh, you're a good kid now. <laughs> he said, we're going to waive every bit of that. <laughs> we're going to waive the court cost. We're going to waive the fine. We're going to waive it all. Literally in tears like I am now, I stood there in that courtroom. I mean, I was a mess. And I walked out of that room and it didn't make God more God. God was God either way, regardless of what the outcome was. But the fact that I had humbled myself under the truth, the truth that his love for me was intact, and it was being maintained, even if the outcome didn't look favorable. That principle I have applied to my life, and I have followed God with the understanding that I cannot manipulate him or extort him. He's God. And neither can you extort nor manipulate him. And we're going to close. Let's read through this. But the people were thirsty for water there. You get that? There? You see that? You know what that's implying? That the other places that they've been pulling up camp, pulling up stakes, they wasn't thirsty there. But they were thirsty here, in this spot. And in that spot, it produced this response. They grumbled against Moses. They grumbled. The, the curtain was pulled back, wasn't it? There wasn't any grumbling at the other spots where all the provisions were, but the moment the pressure was on, man, they turned on them. They turned on their king. It's that whole Toto and the Wizard of Oz thing. Don't pay any attention to the man behind the corner. When he was exposed, when the curtain, or the, behind the curtain, when the curtain was opened up, and there you saw him standing. That's us. When things don't jive with us. We grumble, we complain, we lash out, we extort, we blackmail. We try to corner God, as though a corner can be established to do such a thing. we're exposed and spiritually we're standing there and we're saying don't, don't look at the man or the woman behind the curtain and so they were thirsty there there was no complaint at the other places but they were thirsty there and so they grumbled 
sometimes I ask myself, and you probably need to ask yourself this too. Do you ever feel exposed? And God's kindness, you know what he's done in my life most of the time? He's done most of the exposing to me, of me, to me. You know what that is, Greg? That's pretty gracious. Because what you'll note is what I said most of the time. There's been a few times he's done some exposing of me to others. That's much more painful. Much, much more costly. But he's not wasting that exposure to you. He's wanting to address those issues. And they groveled against Moses, as the scripture says. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Let me say this. People aren't watching you as a believer in Christ to see how you respond when everything's hunky-dory. Man, we're all on display then, man. We're all trophies when everything goes our way, Tim. We're all satisfied in God. We're all chipper. We're all on our feet. Or all our hands are in a worship posture when things are breaking our way. But people aren't watching for that. Ricky, people want to know how's Ricky going to respond when things break against him. How much does Ricky love God when things break against him? Let's close. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you, which you struck the Nile and go. Now realize he still has to do this. It's not enough to hear from God. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. That's what we need to know, isn't it? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care, the, I don't care how dry it is. I don't care what the opposition is. There's only one thing that I need to know, Miss Kathy, and that's, it. God, are you with me? That's it. If you're with, and he goes out there. You know why he goes out there? Because he knows. He knows the record. Remember? That internal conflict that's in the rest, aren't in, it in him? He remembers. He remembers the burning bush that no one else knows about. <laughs> he knows that, Jack. I will stand there before you by, by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Four important words. So Moses did this. In the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah. Listen, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, it's the word tested, Massah, prove. They're trying to prove the Lord. Test to God. The arrogance to do such a thing. It's the same word used earlier in the previous chapter when God was testing them. But you know what? God can test us. He's God. We need to bury a, a, a reckless and arrogant spirit if we think we can do, that we can put God in a test tube and see if he measures up. Name the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Listen to this. 
Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? I wonder if those words are still being spoken as a water run between their toes. As Moses strikes this rock and the water gushes forth. Man, you're talking about a water supply to nourish millions of people along with livestock? You think that water wasn't on the ground, man? You think that thing hadn't opened up? Standing there? Man in their mouth with the thought that they could not recover that had already been articulated and spoken? Is God with us or not? Can you, sometimes we speak things we wish we could retrieve. With man in their mouth, those words then spoken and water running between their toes. You could almost hear the echoing back to them. Is the Lord with you or not? Is the Lord with you or not? You got muddy feet, full stomachs, satisfied palates. And you would ask, is the Lord with us or not? What an insane thought. When I told you at the beginning of this scripture, these people were crazy, I meant it. Insane thinking. Is God with us or not? I don't want you guys having to ask that question. I don't want you guys wrestling internally with that issue. I want your stomachs full of God's provision, your palate satisfied with the taste of his honey manna. I want your feet standing in, on a muddy surface where the water is just pouring out. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But Carrie's going to come just for a moment. And what I'm going to ask you guys to do, and Kellen knows this, as we share communion with one another this morning, and that's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the couple of the elders. Ben, are you up to it, brother? Are you good to go with a broken back? Come on up here, brother. Danny, Miss Terry, if y'all one of y'all want to come up and help here. What I'm going to ask you to do is as we come forward to take the elements of communion, I want you to ask yourself about that internal conflict you've been wrestling with. Do you want to continue wrestling with that? Or do you want to lay that stuff down? That manipulation, that extorting of God, that distorted theology, 
that would allow you to even approach a notion such as that? If that's in your mind and in your spirit, you need to lay that down too. That'll get you nowhere. And what we're going to do this morning, this is what we do every, every time we take communion. We start on the outside in the front row. And we work our way to the back, the sides, simultaneously. Front rows to the back, and then we come down the center. Once the sides are done, we'll start in the front rows, and we'll work our way, way around and come down. When you receive the elements this morning, and some of you may know this, some of you may not, we have two cups to each of these, right? One will have the bread, one will have the wine. Let me just take this. I got it. I don't care whether you're a part of this church or not. That's irrelevant to me. But if you belong to Jesus, you're invited to consume the elements in remembrance of him. I don't care if you're a visitor from out of town. I don't care if you're first time you live a street over this first time you've been here but you follow Christ you're welcome to partake of this this morning as a matter of fact I would encourage you to partake of this it was done for you too it was done for you too so I'm going to ask you guys to stand this morning if you will and as we come we're going to take these elements we're going to take them back to our seat and then collectively we're going to take communion together. Is everybody with me on that? Everybody knows? Brandon, you guys go ahead and start on the outside. Come on down.